Welcome to Side Hustle. So, Eric, we are here to talk about our design goals for this Jonghu themed RPG that we're developing. And um, we have a couple of ideas to get started, but uh, you had the great suggestion to kind of talk about what our goals are for this mini series that we have going on within the Jonghu Hustle podcast. We have the larger podcast where we talk about the movies and we break them down and that's all super interesting. But part of the reason that you and I started this podcast was because we're like, we want to work together. We want to design something together. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, well, let's put that on display. Let's put that out there and make it transparent. We're not the first ones to do this, obviously, but I think it's a really great tool. So yeah, let's definitely talk about kind of what our goals are for this mini series of of design shows that uh, I'm expecting will drop in sort of here and there between episodes. So I know first and foremost, this is just kind of supposed to be an informal chat between you and me about our design time. It's basically us designing the game, but we wanted to record it for the benefit of listeners and for anybody else who might be interested in making a game uh, to kind of show them what our process for game design looks like. Yeah. And I'm kind of hoping that you'll see an arc both to the Jung-Hu Hustle podcast where we talk about the movies and then this also smaller design focused podcast where you'll kind of get to see us stumble over new ideas and learn things and, you know, maybe disagree or discover something fruitful between our, our two different approaches. Cause we were talking that we make very interesting a Venn diagram yeah. of, of <laughs> and that that our overlap is small but intense uh and then the rest of it is is i think really interesting territory to us both but we just haven't uh had a chance to explore in those directions yeah so i have some thoughts about um the arc of the show that i want to share but first of all you're absolutely right about our venn diagram being a really cool little segment of our interests and our specialties and similarities and stuff. Uh, yeah, so yesterday on Google+, Plus, uh, there was a guy who shared, uh, VB Weird, he goes by on Google+, Plus, but um, he shared Mo Tusino's, uh review of our podcast, which is great, by the way. Thanks so much, Mo, for leaving that. That's awesome. Um, I, I really appreciated everything you had to say. But yeah, I, I pointed out on the comments of that, that you have a really thorough knowledge of the filmolo- filmography that we're discussing. Uh, and I have a pretty thorough knowledge of the historical context. And I think the two of those together gel, uh, gel in a really cool way to kind of help us understand as much as we can about this genre. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, our overlaps, obviously, we both love the Kung Fu movies. We both love the fights and the stories that they tell and everything. So that's pretty fun. And then in terms of game design, we're both game designers, but you've worked mainly in like a specific system. Mm-hmm. And I have done most of my work in custom systems uh and right and you've got a much more thorough knowledge of systems than i do as well but it's always good that i haven't crawled inside my own head Mm -hmm. so it's excellent to have like some fresh eyes and we can share ideas back and forth because your knowledge is very like it's it's more narrow and deep and mm-hmm. mine is more broad and shallow. Yeah. And I think I think those two things together will be uh will be really valuable. Yeah. So talking about the arc of the podcast too, really quick, I know that we have kind of already set up the regular episodes to have that arc. We started off talking about the protagonist figure of this genre, the Shah, 
And then we started talking about the Jianghu itself. And from there, we've kind of blossomed out into exploring different parts of, of this genre. But I think there is definitely an arc there already. Um, I'm excited to see how the arc turns out in these mini show uh, kind of episodes that we're doing as well in terms of really getting the bones of this system together. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Another goal that we have is because this is transparent, we want people to participate with us. And so please let us know if like what we're saying is intriguing, if you found it helpful. And if you have any suggestions for us, we we obviously we're going to design our own game, but you know, many hands make light work. So it's, it's kind of nice to be able to take all of these really smart things that people say to us mm -hmm. and be able to incorporate them or to see what people are interested in and sort of design, combine our interests with their interests and then, and then see what happens. So uh, always shoot us a line. Uh, those details will be in the show notes. Should we get started on our first topic? Yeah, well, I wanted to uh, just briefly review the methodology that we've been using and kind of codify that for this episode. So it boils down to two um, segments, research and discussion, right? Uh, the research happens mm -hmm. mostly off air. We watch Kung Fu movies, we read articles about Wuxia stories, etc. And then the recordings are our discussion where we analyze the research we've done, we bounce ideas around, we record it all in Google Docs. And in a nutshell, that's how we're going about the business of designing this. We're researching and we're discussing and then we're testing out ideas. Yeah. And, and I guess I want to reinforce that you and I aren't experts. Oh, no. Right. We have our own <laughs> sort of like interests in, in this. But that's why we started the show in the first place was to give us an impetus to do the research and to have those discussions. Absolutely. And then this is just sort of a natural outgrowth of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, we there are some other podcasts that kind of do the same sort of thing. Um, Design Doc is a new one on the OneShot Network that's really good. It's the folks who are uh, designing Questlandia or did design it, and they're read, they're doing a new edition of the, of the game. Um, I really like their approach. And then you had mentioned one also. I take a lot of inspiration from the Design Games podcast with Nathan Paletta and Will Hindmarch. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't necessarily work together, uh, but it's a super great resource of if you're interested in game design, of all of the little building blocks that go into games, and they're super smart dudes. Uh, and to be fair, uh, I did also kind of steal the format of Jung Hu Hustle from Nathan's other podcast, 200 a Day. Oh, yeah. Where he... <laughs> Yeah, where he and Epidai Ravishal analyze the Rockford Files. Mm -hmm. If imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, I hope that Nathan is flattered. And <laughs> and that, uh, you know, I can get to be a little bit of the game designer he is without having to, you know, kill and devour him. Yeah, all we're doing is uh, sitting at the feet of the masters and learning what they have to teach us and then taking it forth into the world. The 36th chamber, of course. That's right. That's right. Well, that's when we bring it back out to the world is the 36th chamber. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think we're ready to dive into this thing now. So on this first episode segment, whatever we want to call this of our design chats, I want to look at the big three questions by Jared Sorensen. And then I'm going to add a fourth question on there. Uh, we talked about the big three in episode one of Jung Hu Hustle, and they are a way of boiling down what your game is doing 
and what your game is about. And in fact, the the very first question of the big three is what is your game about? I'm going to go through all of them. I don't think we're going to answer all of these today because some of them are system related. Yeah. But they're really good to keep in your brain. Mm -hmm. So the first one is what is your game about? The second one, how does your game do this? And three is how does your game encourage or reward this? I found a list that has a fourth question for the big three, which is how do you make this fun? And we will talk about that when we get to uh, four of three. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what our game is about. So we've watched a bunch of Wuxia movies and that sort of thing. We have some ideas of like parts that we want to go in there. But if we were going to boil it down, even if it's a this is this plus this, like Inspectors, which is by Jared Sorensen is The Office plus Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. If you were going to describe what your game was, that's what that is. So I feel like ours is like, well, we want to tell Usha stories. Right. Well, and yeah, and and we've been exploring what makes up a Wuxia story. And it's been interesting for me to consider which parts of these are most gameable, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. We've discussed a lot of things. We've discussed how tightly related characters are in these stories. We've discussed the themes of revelation that happen throughout these stories. Uh, We've discussed the melodrama that's inherent in Wuxia. And and trying to codify that into, I guess you would say, like a thesis statement or something is, I think... I think it's going to be kind of a challenge. I don't know exactly where to start with this. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think I just want to put down some general ideas. And then as we as we go through and we look at the other questions uh, and as we like continue to progress, I think we're going to keep coming back to the big three. Yeah. And that will help us narrow down. So what I don't want, and this happens a lot when you go and somebody's trying to sell you a game. And you can say, well, what's your game about? And you're like, well, in this game, you can do anything. Yeah. No, And it's like, yeah, I can already kind of do anything. I can just make stuff up for free. Mm-hmm. Oh, why do I need your thing? Yeah. What makes our game different, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so I think we had some things that we wanted to uh, to hit on. We, we, wanted, uh, we wanted it to be dramatic. Mm-hmm. We wanted it to be melodramatic. Mm-hmm. Right? We want it to be tactical. Mm-hmm. Because you and I both enjoy the, the actual combat part of Wuxia stories in addition to the story part. Because mm-hmm. I feel like there are games out there that do, that could do the dramatic part mm-hmm. already. I think we want it to uh, not be slow. Yeah, I was going to say, I think part of making a game nice and dramatic is keeping the latency fairly low. It's hard to get mm-hmm. into the meat of a story if you are constantly having to get out of the story to consult a rule or to consider your options or something like that. Right. And I don't know that rules light is, is what I want Mm -hmm. because rules light has a, has a, well, first of all, it's a meaningless phrase. Yeah. Uh, because people are like, Oh, savage world is a rules light game. And it's like, "Mm, buddy, I don't, I don't think you know what a rules light game is. It's rules light compared to, you know, D and D, but that's yeah. Or or role master. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it all depends on kind of where you stand. Anything that is has fewer rules than the game you are most comfortable with is is rules light. Yeah. Um, I want rules make sense uh, where I really like in a game where you reach for a rule that you think should be there mm-hmm. and it is there and it's there. Yeah. You know, or it says, look, this space, we don't we don't have rules for this. 
Mm-hmm. You can just you have the freedom to make this part up because this is not what the game is about. Yeah, and you know, uh, so you talked about how it's important that this game, the elevator pitch for this game, is not it can do anything. I think mm. what we should strive to accomplish with these rules is the game will help you do everything that you need to do in this genre and nothing that you don't need to do. I think about specifically House of Flying Daggers, Hero, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I think about these real artful wuxia movies and I consider how some of them are really gaudy. Hero is such a visual feast, but at the same time, all of that color and all of that design and everything that you see in that movie is accomplished with such elegance. And I think that should be one of our goals. Whatever the game ends up looking like, it should, and no matter how complex it ends up being, it should be an elegant expression of those mechanics, you know? I like that. So, uh, unnamed game. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to come up with a cool, tight, you know, fake title for our game that will probably, unfortunately, become the title for the game. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, listeners, that's if you're listening so far, that, that that's your job. Yeah, give us a cool name. Yeah, give us a cool name. Yeah, and I figure we can go ahead and just write this sentence, and then we can like edit it or whatever we need to do, and then we can read the final version and talk a little bit about the process we went through to arrive at it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't even mind like kind of going back and forth or like putting this in as a placeholder and then moving down to question two. And then, you know, I I have a feeling we're going to keep coming back to question one. Yeah, I think you're probably right. All right. So I have unnamed game is a game that does wuxia action and drama while keeping a strong pace. It's not a great, it's not a great sort of goal sentence, but where it's sort of crappy I think we can, like, we know to sort of pinpoint things. Like, we don't have anything in there about its elegance or, like, what the characters do yet because we haven't really gotten that far. Yeah, the only thing I think I would change in that sentence is uh, wuxia action and melodrama instead mm-hmm. of wuxia mm-hmm. action and drama. You know, that's uh, that's a little closer to what we're trying to do. I think it should be dramatic, but I think melodrama is maybe just a little more important to the actual bones of the system. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And I don't want to necessarily like, it's a little hard to like claim elegance. This is sort of our design goal. So we know we want it, the rules to make sense or be elegant. And however, that that sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think what we want is we want to have a game that does wuxia action and melodrama and places equal weight on both of those things yeah so um how about unnamed game is an equal expression of wuxia action and wuxia melodrama while keeping a strong pace oh that's good all right i think that's a that's a good starting starting goal sentence for what is our game about is so wuxia unnamed game is an equal expression of wuxia action and wuxia melodrama while keeping a strong pace cool i love it all right excellent i think that really sums up what you and i are both looking for yeah definitely all right let's move on to question two and uh, we're not going to be able to answer questions two three or four at all but we can sort of talk about what our preferences are well one thing i was going to say i just thought about this uh so we had just codified this sentence right mm-hmm. and you were like okay let's move on and i was like but wait would it make more sense if it was wuxia melodrama and wuxia action instead of wuxia action and wuxia melodrama but honestly i wanted to point that out because i think that's unhelpful for our purposes you know we don't need to be that detailed in this section 
uh, we don't need to think about the hierarchy of things just yet. We just need to think about the core of what we're trying to do. Right. And you've already said that it's an equal expression of both of those things. So that mm-hmm. we know that when it comes down to doing the actual game design, that if we discover that those things aren't equal, uh, if our action chapter is 50 pages and our, our melodrama chapter is 10 pages, mm-hmm. we maybe have done something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So question two, how does your game do this? So this is, Wolf, this is this is a big this is a big question. This is the this is the actual game design. Mm-hmm. Um, if if the question one, what is your game about, is the thing that gets your gets somebody's attention about their game. This is the part where we have to we have to break out what kind of rules that we are interested in and how do we incentivize that action? How do we create that action? We have some guidelines for yeah the the sort of the outline or the smell test for the rules that if things are Mm -hmm. taking too long or they're getting too clunky that that we know we're not headed in the right direction well i was just going to say i think uh so when we were talking about what is the game about we talked a lot about latency we talked about elegance we talked about the rules making sense i think those elements are actually more appropriate in the second question than they Mm -hmm. were the first you know um this is where we talk about how it's done not what we're trying to do. Yeah, that makes sense. So we had talked, we've talked a a bunch in some of the episodes about how do we get characters to do these things that are against the, uh, like a player's self-interest. If your, if your character is your, your avatar in the game, Mm -hmm. how do you make it so that playing to some of these very tragic storylines that happened in Wuxia, how do we make sure that that exists? within this game the first thing that came to mind was how do we keep this from being a min maxing game or how do we keep this from being a wish fulfillment or a power fantasy game but really i don't know that that's the right way to say that i think i think the more appropriate thing is how do we design the game in such a way that the player's wishes are naturally bent toward the hallmarks of the genre so let's say that we are how how do we do this we create incentives to uh, drive wuxia appropriate action forward mm-hmm. you know and i guess action in this sense is both action and melodrama i'm going to leave action in there because it's it's all it's all action you could say wuxia tropes i suppose tropes is becoming an increasingly loaded term you know it might not be ideal I, there's nothing wrong with tropes they're they're definitely we're gonna have to build some in there but part of what we're doing is like exploring what like how those tropes are constructed and what ones mm-hmm. we need and we don't need. And so I think those tropes are going to be able to be the the spice of the game to make. So when you play this at your table, you can sort of pick and choose which tropes you want to stick in. And that will make your mm-hmm. own Wuxia game separate. So one thing that I keep thinking about during this second question is I, I can't help but think about how this would be structured in a crowdfunding campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, like in terms of the core product and stretch goals and that sort of thing. And maybe this would be more appropriate for a stretch goal or something, but something that I think would be really valuable is if we had little um, cultural primers for different parts of the genre. You know, you have like 
a hundred words written about what is a Shah. You have a hundred words written about what is the Zhang Hu, so that even if somebody doesn't listen to this podcast, they still have that bare bones amount of information to be familiar with the genre. And it's right there in the book. One of my favorite things about uh, games like Fiasco and Apocalypse World and Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, is that a lot of that is really built into the the player aids. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I would like to see. So it's like, if that's a thing that, that we want our game to do, because we can only count on one player reading the book Mm-hmm. And that's the person running the game. Right. If if we give them sort of like short, digestible things that they can impart to their players, but then we can also put some of that into the language on the character sheet mm-hmm. uh, or the play aids or however we do it. That's that's my favorite way of priming that style of play. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're like, oh, this this character sheet has curse words on it and there's a sex move. Yeah, <laughs> this is a different kind of game. Yeah, this isn't D and D. Yeah, <laughs> so ours can do something similar, mm-hmm. but with our own spin on it for Wuxia. Yeah, I think I think that'll be really valuable, and I think that's even something that we can talk more about as we uh, move forward with this design series. I feel like that's going to come in hand in in handy when we talk about, say, you know, like table culture or that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I think question three. How does your game encourage or reward this mm-hmm. is almost a subset of question two. Yeah. I mean, so I think what is your game about? It's the thesis statement for the game. How does your right. game do this? I think is an explicit question about the core mechanic. And then how does your game encourage or reward this to me is what is the reaction to the core mechanic? What's the result after you've engaged in that core mechanic? And and how is that result exemplifying question one, you know? Yeah, the other way that I have seen question three sort of interpreted is how does the game affect the player characters? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you get the player? Like, what do the player characters do? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a question of advancement or character options or something like that. Is that what you're thinking of? So there are certain games that the economies are more obvious than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a has a sort of obvious, but uh, it's a blunt instrument in its XP reward system. Yeah. Uh, Fate is a little bit more nuanced in its economy. And speaking, I mean, you've also got games like um, Adventure, Conqueror, King System that is explicitly about an actual monetary economy. It's it's built from the ground up about that sort of thing. And so on the one hand, you've got... Um, You've got the economy of gameplay, which I think is what you're talking about. But then depending on what you're trying to accomplish with your question one, it might be appropriate for you to do any number of things, model a monetary economy, model action, resolution, uh, whatever might be the case, you know? Right. In some games, it's, well, how do you reward the behavior that is that the game wants you to do that's summed up in its thesis statement mm-hmm. is so at Dungeons and Dragons, you go out and you, you bust dungeons, right? And you bring back that sweet loot and you fight monsters and that allows you to upgrade yourself because part of that game's thesis statement is that it is about characters that are sort of like ever increasingly powerful, mm-hmm. right? And it has that sort of Western wish fulfill- fulfillment uh, baked right into the game. And that's just one type, like what we were talking about. I think that is not an appropriate type of 
reward cycle for our game. In fact, it's probably close to the opposite. Yeah, you know, um, so you were talking about how we need to create a game that encourages players to make choices that are not necessarily in the best interest of their character. And I think that is perfectly uh, suited for this third question here. How does your game encourage or reward this? We need to encourage players to make harrowing choices for their characters. There's a couple of sort of subsets of this. And I think this is really where we can kind of break these apart. When we get to, when we start talking about, we do one section on just characters. There's an interesting way that we can talk about how this works within the game, because there are ways, if there are a lot of routes in a Wuxia story that lead inexorably towards doom, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think that's a thing that we see a lot is that like doom is sort of a theme that runs through a lot of these and how do we get that Call of Cthulhu thing where people are really interested in progressing their characters all the way to that end and not just going, nope, I, this is no fun. I check out. Yeah, it makes me this is not the right culture, but it makes me think about the Japanese uh, samurai tradition of seppuku and how killing yourself, choosing to end your life could be an honorable action for you as as a person. I think by the same token, there is that quote, you know, the Shah values X, Y, and Z more than his own life. Uh, I think a a large part of how does your game encourage or reward this is going to boil down to making a game where all of those qualities of your character are more important than whatever we're using to signify hit points. I don't even know that we're going to use hit points, you know, but if we use hit points, they need to be far less important than a lot of other things about the character. And I think the other thing that we need to look at is, so all of these characters, as they gain in power, they're, they have like more rules and expectations placed upon them. Mm, yeah. So I think we want a trade in power for uh, rules and expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say responsibility, but that's maybe a little too Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to put it in in parentheses. Sure. Uh, Cuz I think I think that's I think that's fine because I think that's what we see the the fairly low level characters they can kind of get away with more. Mhm. Uh, they are less capable. They, if they run into a high level threat, they are more likely just to get killed. Yeah. But uh, they, within their own level, they're able to kind of like act within a a broader line. That's where we see like Master Bo being a fool, and he can kind of do a lot. Yeah, I was actually thinking of the same thing. Uh, we were having that Twitter conversation about the fool archetype, and I thought, you know, uh, Chief Fox can go up against the fallen. Uh, priest who's become the government official and he gets a pratfall whereas somebody else would be brutally murdered uh it Mm -hmm. yeah he's he's not he's a character who doesn't have a lot of power and so he gets off the hook for a lot of things that would be fatal for other more powerful characters we need to look at that trade and power for rules and expectations and then i also think that we want to look at archetypes Mm -hmm. uh, for for characters that's a way of developing of, of how we instruct players what to do with their characters. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, so I've, I've recently, uh, so Blades in the Dark came out with their SRD recently, which is super exciting. Um, and I've been reading through that stuff. And it's my first exposure to Powered by the Apocalypse style games. I don't think Blades in the Dark is really the best example of an offshoot of Apocalypse World, from what I understand. 
but um, yeah, it's not. Anyway, it's my first exposure to playbooks. And I really like that approach to a character uh, unit. You know, it's not a discrete mm-hmm. character class like D&D would be. It's not totally freeform like Savage Worlds would be. It gives you character options that are finite and self-contained, but it gives you a lot more freedom than other systems that I've seen. And I, I like that a lot. The best thing that I find about them is that the the ones that are really well written mm-hmm. have multiple story arcs baked within them cool and so you can depending on which options you choose you're sort of mixing and matching amongst these different story arcs Mm -hmm. and it gives you it makes it your own character but you're still playing within a a thematically sort of resonant character type for that game Mm -hmm. as you can see like there's a lot of pieces here that we need to we need to work on and talk about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to briefly touch on question four of the big three. And this is, I just wanted to bring this up because it was in one of the first articles that when I looked up the big three, that it was like, oh, here's here's one more. And it's, how do you make this fun? And this is a question that was added by uh, game designer John Wick. And yeah, not, not killer, killer John, John Wick. Wick. Uh, I don't want to ask that guy anything. So I actually, I brought this up because I actually think it's not a good question. Even that is valuable, asking wrong questions or sort of misguided questions. I I think, so how do you make this fun? I don't think you can make anything fun. I I think that you can can set things up. Like we had talked about having the rules make sense and having things like low latency. And we have things that we prefer in play. Mm -hmm. But I think designing for fun uh, is is a non-starter. Yeah, I mean, I can see it being a nice ambient question that you ask yourself throughout the process to to look at something that you've just created and think is this is this does this follow like the rule of cool does this reinforce what i'm trying to do in this game but that's not exactly the definition of fun you know when i play it is it creating the kind of experience that i wanted when i started creating this game yeah it's probably what the question is aiming at Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are so many different types of fun and everyone it's sort of like when we're talking about rules light and it's like, well, there's, you know, it kind of depends on what your preferences are, where you stand on on whether something is fun or whether something is rules light. Um, so uh, I left it on there because I thought it might provoke an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think it's a good thing to to go, hey, are we doing the things that we said we were going to do? And when people play this game, are they mostly having a good time? You know, that is important, but it's people are responsible for their own fun. I, that's a thing that I think in in game design, like I will make a game that I want to play and then you are responsible for bringing your own fun to this game. Yeah, I totally agree. And then hopefully this is an amplifier yeah. rather than like, I am just giving you my fun. It's like making a funny role-playing game. Right. Well, and it, it, it makes me think of the adage that like, it's not the game master's responsibility to steward an interesting or entertaining game. Like everybody shares that responsibility. And by the same token, we as game designers, we have, we play a part in creating an interesting game and creating a fun game, but we don't play the exclusive part. Uh, A lot, a lot of people are responsible for their own fun. Every time they take it to their own table, you know, we're kind of wrapping up here and I, I will give you sort of what my sort of thesis statement of like role-playing game design is. Mm-hmm. And it's that role-playing games are cookbooks. 
I, I'm going to put in a lot of work. I'm going to make that recipe really good, right? But you need to bring the ingredients and you need to bring the skill and you need to get people to your table and, and have them all enjoy that. And that's the thing that is going to make it great. And you'd be like, oh man, what an amazing cookbook. And it's like, well, sort of, but also you also brought it. Like I will put in as much effort into the recipe as I think it needs. And then it's up to you to bring the rest. Yeah. You're responsible for creating the, the thing from the recipe. Hopefully that takes a little bit of pressure off of us. Eli. Yeah. <laughs> I already feel relieved. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And hungry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, so my game design philosophy is emergent, but it's important for me to faithfully represent cultures. Even if they're totally fictional, I want to, I want to provide, I guess, like an, an honest internal perspective on whatever culture we're portraying. And then in terms of, that's more, I guess, my world building philosophy. In terms of game design, my philosophy has generally been that as a designer, it's not my job to create a completed pathway for you to follow. It's more like I have a playground that's got all this dynamite stacked around it, and I give you a match and tell you to go nuts, you know? Wow. I mean, I'm glad I don't have kids so that you can't babysit for them. <laughs> I'm not allowed within 300 feet of a school. Um, <laughs> it's strictly because I always carry around a bunch of dynamite. <laughs> um, All right. I think that, I think, I think we're good there. I think yeah. we just might want to end it on that, on that uh, high note there. Yeah. We'll just let that hang for everyone who listens to this. And my opinion has, uh, vastly lowered in many people's estimation. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Uh yeah, well this is good to, this is a good time. I think we established some good foundation for this thing and uh I think we've got a good place to go forward for future mini show episodes. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. You can reach Eli at Zapdynamic on Twitter or at his website mythicgazetteer.com. And you can reach me at Eric M. Farmer on Twitter or at my website, dogpoweredvehicle.com. Or you can reach both of us at Jianghu Hustle on Twitter, Jianghu Hustle at gmail.com for email, and on the Misdirected Mark website. This show is a proud member of the Misdirected Mark Network.